Sunday, August 6th. Clear and pleasant. I am no better. Frank has his hands full with all the cooking to do and me and the children to wait on. August 8th. I am still sick and feel very sad. The doctor told Frank he would have to stop traveling with me or I could not stand it many days longer. Anne and the Miss Rhines are washing. Mary Rhine washed some for me. Frank cut my hair off short and thinned it out as best he could. Those are two entries from Ruth Shackelford's 1865 diary. I'm Jen Globius, and this is the Hellenucky Deep Dive, a podcast about the process of mapping and analysis for historical and archaeological research using open source tools. In this episode, I'll discuss Frank Shackelford and his family, starting from the early 1800s in Virginia. And in this episode, I'll be talking about both slavery and rape, nothing graphic at all, but please be warned if you are triggered by these topics. Let's dive in. William Franklin Shackelford, who Ruth referred to as Frank in her diary, was born in Culpeper County, Virginia in 1835, but came to adulthood in Boone County, Missouri, a divided state in a divided nation just before the Civil War. Frank was a deeply religious man who seemed to have attended services whenever he could on his family's travels to California and back, no matter the denomination. And he became an ordained minister after Ruth's death. We'll start Frank's story back when his father, Morgan Shackelford, was a boy in Virginia. Morgan, Frank's father, was five years old living in Culpeper County in Northern Virginia to the west of the Rappahannock River in 1805, when his father, John Shackelford, passed away, leaving his mother Elizabeth with four young children under the age of 10 and pregnant with her youngest daughter, Fanny. According to Elizabeth's deposition in the case about the disputed land recounted in the last episode, Elizabeth and the children moved in with her father, whose name frustratingly was not given, but where, according to her testimony, they lived until Elizabeth and the children moved in with the eldest, Sarah, after her marriage to Edward Wiley sometime before 1815. But Elizabeth is listed as head of household in the 1810 census for, in Culpeper County. And this probably means that Elizabeth had her own household with her children at that point. So we can't be sure if something had happened and they left Elizabeth's father's household or what was going on. After Sarah's marriage to Edward Wiley, Elizabeth and the four younger children moved in with her to the land which which had originally been left to Polly, Edward's first wife and which Martin Button had sold to Edward Wiley in 1813 for 375 pounds. When Edward died, he left the land and estate to Sarah, and she was able to house her mother and siblings and provide some financial support. Sarah married Ephraim McDaniel in 1820, and in that year's census, there were enough people in the household to account for Elizabeth and her children. Their household also included an enslaved male and an enslaved female. 
the support that Sarah gave to her siblings did not seem to be equal for all. Since according to Elizabeth's deposition in the lawsuit, Caleb, her third son, and plaintiff against Sarah in the case, had received some support from Sarah for his schooling. However, Morgan, Caleb's older brother, seemingly did not attend school, since later it was recorded that he could not read or write. Morgan's older brother, Theophilus, died in 1824, leaving Morgan as the oldest male in the family. Morgan married Jane Monroe sometime by 1826, and they started their family, ending up with seven children, with Anne Eliza, the oldest, born in 1826, Frank, that was the middle child, born in 1835, and twins Rebecca and Isaac were born last in 1841. The 1830 and 1840 censuses show the growing family in Culpeper County. Besides Morgan and Jane and the children, the household in 1830 included an enslaved woman between the ages of 24 and 36, while in 1840, the household included an enslaved woman between the ages of 10 and 24. To reiterate, Frank Shackelford's family enslaved human beings, which is absolutely reprehensible. Forcing human beings, based on the color of their skin or for any reason at all, into enslavement, even though it was common at this time in the 1800s, especially in Virginia, enslaving anyone was a horrible thing to have done and reprehensible. Even if the Shacklefords treating, treated the people they had enslaved well, that does not in any way excuse the horrible moral transgression of enslaving fellow human beings. I have more to say about the treatment of enslaved people in this household coming up. So, evidently, Cumberland Morgan, the oldest boy in their family, attended Jefferson Academy in Culpeper County, although I don't know if any other male members of the family, such as Frank, attended as well. Morgan and Jane sold their interest in the inherited land that was under dispute in the lawsuit. They sold it in 1842 to Benjamin Matthews and shortly thereafter left Virginia. Morgan and Jane moved their family to Boone County, Missouri, near the town of Columbia, not far at all from where the family of Ruth Galloway, later to be married to Frank, where her family lived. Jane passed away a few years later in 1846. Frank was 11 years old. The next year, in 1847, Morgan was witness to a knife attack in Boone County, where another witness was a man named Atwell Gatewood. Atwell would, the next year, become Morgan's son-in-law when he married Anne Eliza, Frank's oldest sibling, on the 11th of October, 1848. Around this time, Frank's oldest brother, Cumberland Morgan, or CM, moved north a few counties to Shelby County, where he was doing carpentry and more specifically cabinet making. In 1849, CM married Catherine Anna Marmaduke, and in the 1850 census, their household included the newlyweds and an enslaved seven-year-old girl. 
the household of Morgan Shackelford, back in Boone County, included Morgan, age 50, who was marked as a person who could not read or write, Frank, age 15, engaged in farming, but who had attended school within the year, Rufus, and the twins Isaac and Rebecca, age 9. Morgan's farm, valued at $300, contained 50 acres, 14 of which had been improved, meaning that it had been cleared and the land could then be used for agriculture. The Shacklefords kept cattle, pigs, and grew corn and oats. In addition, the number of human beings enslaved by Morgan Shackelford had increased. Listed as enslaved by Morgan was a 21-year-old black female who may have been the, been the same female enslaved by Morgan in, 18, in the 1840 records. Also enslaved by Morgan were a six-year-old black girl, a three-year-old boy, and a one-year-old girl the two youngest listed as being mulatto, which means that they had mixed heritage. When I first found this record months ago, I at once suspected that Morgan had fathered at least the, two, the youngest two enslaved children, if not all three. Not much later, my Uncle Chuck confirmed that Morgan indeed was their father, and he invited me to a Zoom meetup with fellow descendants of Morgan, including descendants of the children Morgan had enslaved. I learned that Mary was the name of the woman Morgan had both enslaved and had children with. And the children that they had together were named Amanda, Elizabeth, and Thornton. It was both a privilege and delight to meet these members of the family and to hear their stories. But that does not take away from my horror and absolute disgust that Morgan had repeatedly raped Mary, who he had enslaved, and that it had started at least when she was only 14 or 15, so only a, a, a girl, a child. And you might be asking yourself why I use the term rape for what Morgan did. Any type of relationship that Morgan had with Mary is, is rape. It is always rape whenever there is a power differential, such as when one person has enslaved another, no matter if the enslaved person seems willing. And absolutely, in most cases, they most certainly were not willing. They had no choice. You can learn much more regarding this topic from the book Stamped from the Beginning by Professor Ibram X. Kendi, which is an excellent book, and I highly recommend it. All right, so in 1850, Frank Shackelford was helping his father Morgan farmland in Boone County, Missouri, along with his half-siblings, who were enslaved by his father. We do not know Frank's thoughts about the situation or about slavery at all. That's something we don't have. A few years later... CM, who was, again, living in Shelby County, he left the, the business of carpentry and he became a druggist, what we would call a pharmacist. And he went into business with his brother-in-law, Marion Marmaduke. 
The Marmadukes were alum among the earliest settlers of Shelby County. Originally from Virginia, the Marmaduke family also enslaved human beings. And they took it even further and later fought on the side of the Confederacy in the Civil War. Marion Marmaduke, who was in business with C.M. Shackelford for a few years, rose to the rank of captain in the Confederate Army. And after the war, later he and C.M. go back into the drug business together again. Meanwhile, back in Boone County, Morgan sold the farm and bought a different farm in Callaway County, the, the next county to the east of Boone. Around the same time, Frank Shackelford married Ruth Galloway on the 24th of October, 1854, in Boone County. Not long after that, in 1855, so boom, 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 Morgan buys a different farm, sells off his land in Boone County, buys land in Callaway County, Frank and Ruth get married, and then after that, in 1855, Morgan died. CM, as the oldest son, served as executor of the estate. Probate records show that Frank purchased some farming implements from Morgan's estate, including a scythe and cradle, a plow and hoe, and among other things, he also bought perhaps some keepsakes, a clock, a table, and also a horse, a mare. And I just want to say at this point, I don't know what happened to Mary and her children who were Frank's half-siblings. In the next few years, Frank and Ruth and their children, because they had already they had started their family, they moved from Boone County to Shelby County, very close to, to CM, to Frank's older brother. The 1860 census actually shows Frank and Ruth living next door to CM and his family. Also living with CM was Rufus, their younger brother, who was age 22, who was working as a clerk, possibly in CM's pharmacy, in his, in his business, and Rebecca, age 18. Isaac, Rebecca's twin had passed away sometime after 1850. So in this 1860 census, Frank was listed as a carpenter with $1,000 in real estate and $500 in personal estate. CM had $2,400 in real estate, which makes sense since he owned a business, but he also had $3,800 in personal estate. And Missouri, considered enslaved people as personal estates and not real estates as they were considered in other parts of the country. Although I have not been able to find records confirming anything, I highly suspect that that CM's high amounts of personal estate means that they had enslaved people. And I actually, I do think that CM, there are records that CM and his family had enslaved people. Soon after that, the Civil War started. Although Missouri was a slave state, it did not secede from the Union, in part due to political maneuvering. There was fighting in and near Shelby County, where most of Frank's family was living. CM's in-laws, including his former business partner Marion, joined the Confederate Army. A United States draft registration record dating probably to 1863, and it's for Shelby County, 
it listed C.M. and Frank as both living in Shelbyville, while their younger brother Rufus was then living in Shelbina, so also in Shelby County, but he moved to a different town. There are records that Rufus served on the Union side of the Civil War in a company of the 3rd Regiment Infantry Volunteers, but I'm not sure how long he actually served especially since Rufus was married on the 8th of September in 1864 in Shelby County. So between 1863, when that draft record exists, and May 1st, 1865, Frank, Ruth, and their children left Shelby County for Clark County to the northeast, where Frank's oldest sibling, Anne, lived with her husband, Atwell Gatewood. The two families left with others, such as the Rhines, for California on May 1st, 1865. Frank did carpentry work here and there along their travels, both going to and from California, especially when they were in Center Mills, Texas. In addition to that, it seems like he attended church services and preaching anytime he could. Of course, in 1870, Ruth died in Roscoe, Roscoe, St. Clair County, Missouri. St. Clair County is in the southwestern part of Missouri and is nowhere near where the rest of Frank's family, especially CM, who had stayed in Shelby County, although he had moved from Shelbyville to Clarence in 1875. So Frank and Ruth were not living near his family, and Frank continues to live in St. Clair for the rest of his life. In July 1873, Frank married Nancy Wilholt, and together they had six more children, continuing to live in Roscoe. Four years later, in 1877, Frank was ordained as a minister, and he devoted himself to the ministry from 1877 until 1899. Between 1899 and 1909, so for 10 years, Frank served as probate judge in St. Clair County. William Frank Shackelford died October 17, 1909, at age 74. So when I was researching Frank and his family, the Virginia connection is very strong, but Ruth it's, I've, I've had a feeling reading through the records and just looking up information about the Shackelfords that they probably were pro-slavery, although we don't really know. Ruth does, did not mention anything about slavery or her or Frank's feelings about the institution of slavery, and she mentioned nothing about the Civil War. And we don't have any writing from Frank about his feelings at all. So what we do have are administrative records, such as census records, and those give us facts and figures. And so we know that his family enslaved human beings. But we lack, these, these records lack thoughts. I mean, we know that the Shackelfords were not the most affluent people, either in Culpeper County or in Boone County, in, in either Virginia or Missouri. But in both places, they engaged in the enslavement of human beings. And Morgan, Frank's father, also raped an enslaved woman and had children who he enslaved. And I can't help but think and totally think that Frank was complicit in this. 
even if I don't have direct evidence that he enslaved anyone, he was in part like a party to this. We don't know how he felt about it, but it's it's just difficult to feel anything for him. So how does this figure with Frank's with Frank's deep religious devotion? Well, organized religion was used to condone and reinforce the enslavement of human beings. Close to the Civil War, I think in the 1840s or 1850s, some Christian denominations actually had the southern part of their church break break off into separate churches over the issue of slavery. So we contrast that view on slavery with Frank's tenderness and care for Ruth and his family, especially that you see in Ruth's diary entries when she was sick. She doesn't say that he's tender, but he takes care of her, takes on the cooking, and he even cuts her hair short and thins it out. There isn't another woman doing this. Surely another woman could have done this. And it just shows the care that he gave for her. And also, shortly after those entries I read, like, Frank was also sick. He was... He came down with this and he kept going as best he could and Ruth tried to pick up some slack for him, but she was still sick. It's You could tell that they, they cared for each other, even though Ruth doesn't write that in detail. So Frank was human, just like we all are, complicated and messy, deeply religious, seemingly at least condoning the enslavement of human beings, and tender and caring of his family. These all work together and don't contradict each other in any way. I also have a question about how the Civil War itself affected Frank Shackelford's family. So his older brother CM had married into the Marmaduke family who were prominent Confederates, many of a few that like fought for the Confederacy in Missouri and elsewhere. Yet Frank's younger brother, Rufus, served in the Union Army, at least briefly, enough to have a service record. And this break where Frank and his family settled in St. Clair County, so on the kind of on the other side of the state from CM, and Rufus eventually ended up in Colorado. Does this mean that there was a break in the family or simply opportunities elsewhere? There is a mention of that Frank mailed a letter to someone who probably was his brother CM, and he mailed it while they were in Salt Lake City on August 29th, 1865. And these questions may never be knowable. They probably aren't. But I think we can get clues by looking at the people who the Shacklefords traveled with. So in the next few episodes, I'll be looking at the Gatewoods, the Rhines, and the Kirklands, families who the Shacklefords were close with at different times. All right, time for some end notes. Some of the early family history comes from the legal case, Caleb Shackelford and others versus Benjamin Matthews and others, that I discussed in detail in the last episode. And this is linked as is everything else I have. There's a link that you can find in the show notes, both on the Helenaki webpage and on the Patreon page, available both available to the public. Other information from this episode, most a lot of things come from U.S. Census records, including in 1850, the Schedule II slave schedule and Schedule IV agricultural census. Those are both super useful. And 
it was interesting. I found that the entries for the Gatewoods and the Galloways, so Roos family and Atwell's family, they're very they're on the same page, so just a few entries apart. While Morgan Shackelford's entry is on the next page, so I'm pretty sure that means the families, those three families, are living fairly close together in in Boone County. Frank's obituary is available online, and it had information about his time as a minister and probate judge. I was able to obtain a scanned copy of Morgan Shackelford's probate records from the Kingdom of Callaway Historical Society in Fulton, Missouri. And so a special thank you to Barb Huddleston for scanning the records so I could use the information in those for this episode. Information about CM Shackelford and the Marmadukes comes in large part from the 1884 History of Monroe and Shelby Counties, Missouri, available online through the Missouri Digital Heritage, hosted by the Missouri Secretary of State, also available from the Missouri Digital Heritage website, are Rufus Shackelford's military record for the Union, and a listing that of the knife attack legal case that Morgan and Atwell Gatewood were witnesses to. Um, Morgan is, is spelled kind of funny, and so is Atwell, but I'm pretty sure it was those two in the record. Finally, I want to thank my uncle Chuck Farrell for inviting me to the Zoom call with other descendants of Morgan Shackelford last spring, and especially thank you to the other participants and members of our family, of the family side of the family that have been enslaved by Morgan Shackelford. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Thanks for listening. Email questions or comments to deepdive at helenaki.com or ask them on the Helenaki Deep Dive Facebook page. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in this episode are available at helenaki.com. That's H-E-L-O-N-A-K-I.com. You can also find ways to support the show, now including merch, such as t-shirts, mugs, and stickers with the Helenaki Deep Dive logo, and you can find those at helenaki.com support. My thanks to Patreon supporter at the geospatial analyst level, Leah Varel. Your support keeps the Helenaki Deep Dive going. The Helenaki Deep Dive is written and produced by me, Jen Globius, of the Helenaki. The theme music is Deep Ocean Instrumental by Dan O of danosongs.com. Additional sounds from zapsplat.com. Thanks for listening.